This morning, we are going to be covering creation recreation. So this should be a very interesting one. I am uh, going to be surprised if we can get through it all in one week, (laughs) but we will see how this works out. But it should be a lot of fun. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would just help us to uh, settle our hearts and minds and um, just to focus on the things that you have declared in your word, uh, that it would cause us to stand in awe of you. It would cause us to appreciate the things you've given us in your book um, and help us to really understand the book that you've given us is a supernatural, miraculous book that is straight from your hands and no one could author a book like this. It's not an ordinary book. It's not something that was made up by men. It's something that is in your heart and has been established throughout eternity. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to see it for what it is, appreciate it, and really love you even more because of the things that you've given us in this great, great gift. So this morning, uh, just help us. Open up our eyes, open up our understanding, and uh, just help us to see the things that we need to see and understand the things that we need to understand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been doing doctrinal studies, and uh, I've picked various topics here and there, and so now we're going to be talking about creation, recreation. Now, this one is something that I know some of you have heard before, and we may have talked bits and pieces about, but... Is there anyone in here that has never heard of the gap? It's okay. Don't be afraid. Just raise your hand. Okay. Okay. So you'd be like a rookie that you've never heard of the gap. Okay. All right. How many of you would say that you have like a really good understanding of the gap? Okay. All right. There's a handful. All right. Okay. All right. So, and then some of you are like, yeah, I've heard it, but I really don't get it. I really don't understand it. That'd probably be like everybody else. Okay. Okay. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Before we even begin... Um, here's what I want you to do. Take your guys' study sheet. If it's not folded in half, fold it in half. Stick it in your Bible. I don't want you to look at it right now. And I want you to answer this question. And I want us to have a discussion. And I want to try to um, show you the reason why we need to talk about this today. Okay? Because there are some hotly debated topics within theology. Um, a lot of people just have major issues I mean, a lot of people in theological circles have major issues. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, but you start to wade in some of these theological discussions with people, and it just goes crazy. Uh, you find how, how little a person really knows about the Bible. All right, I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to answer it. And if you know the answer according to the gap, I don't want that answer, okay? So if you know the answer, like, <coughs> oh, pfft, totally. Like, I answered this yesterday. Like, I don't want you to answer this question. I want us to have a discussion because I want you guys to be able to see the need about why we need to talk about this, okay? All right, so here's my question. When did Lucifer fall? And you can use your Bible if you would like to. When did Lucifer fall? On Thursday? It probably was a Thursday. Thursday. Or it was a Friday the 13th. I don't know. Maybe. It's quite possible. Yeah. When God kicked him out. When God kicked him out. Okay, good, good. Okay, let's let's try to redirect this a little bit because I want us to discuss this a little bit, all right? And I want us to all be in this. When is the first time in the Bible, if you read it straight through from Genesis to Revelation, when do you first find the devil? Genesis chapter 3, right? Is that what you're going to say in Genesis 3? Okay. Genesis chapter 3. You don't see him anywhere in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He's there, okay? And then you find him again a little bit later in where? It's the Old Testament. 
Think about it. When was there another time where he showed up and he had a conversation with God? Job. Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2. And then you find him again in... A little bit in Isaiah. But he's more hidden. God reveals him in Isaiah 41. But where do you see him actually showing up and speaking in the Bible? Yes, where he tempted Jesus... So Matthew chapter 4 and other places in the Gospels. And then where else do you find him after that where he's actually speaking? Revelation. So really when you think about it, he doesn't really show up that much in the Bible. Genesis 3, Job 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 4, and then you've got Revelation. So his ways are, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty hidden. And that's why he's also called, he's very, very subtle, right? And that's what it says in Genesis chapter 3. There's no other beast that was subtle as the devil, as the serpent, okay? So that's important. Now, let me ask you, again, based on what we just talked about, when did he fall? This is a huge question in theological circles. Huge. Huge. Mega huge. (laughs) Sorry. Can't help myself. Yeah. Magnanimous. (laughs) When did he fall? I think this is pretty important because Jesus said that, you know, he's, you know, the father of lies and murdering and sin itself, right? In John chapter 8. Democratic Party. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to, trying to not make this political, Andy. Andy, shh. Andy, shut your mouth. <laughs> you know, go on the police blotter page and I want you to talk about Andy. That's what I want you to do. <laughs> God will grade you. <laughs> Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Just, I mean, think about it logically. Yeah, Timmy. The third and the sixth day. Okay. The fifth day, fifth and sixth day of creation. Okay, that's logical. Take a look at Genesis chapter one. So, Genesis chapter one, because we're going to be there anyway. All right, so you've got, let's see, verse 5 that says the evening morning of the first day. Verse 8 has the second day. 13 is the third day. 19 is the end of the fourth day. And so then we begin our fifth day. So verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that it may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth in the evening, in the morning, were the fifth day. And then, and God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, and the creeping thing, and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then he begins to create man and woman, and tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Okay, so you have that. Does that say anywhere about the origin of Lucifer and his fall? No, it doesn't. So even if he did, that's something that you would have to read into the passage. Anyone know what that term is called? It's a really fancy term. makes you sound super smart. It's called eisegesis, which has nothing to do with Jesus. 
just so you know, because I think about that every time that I say it. I'm like, but eisegesis. So eisegesis is when you take your pre preconceived thought or belief and you force it into the scripture and you make the Bible say whatever you think. <coughs> Exegesis means you let the Bible speak and you expose it, ex- expose. And so you expose what the scripture says and that's what you believe. So that way you, you know, if you learn nothing else today, you can sound super smart for no other reason than to impress somebody. Okay? All right. So I would say no. Based upon that, no. Based upon what that says. When did Lucifer fall? Could he have fallen before God created the earth? It's possible. It doesn't really say it, though, does it? No. But does, it, but does the Bible specifically say when he fell in general? It does. Not directly, though. Okay, let me ask you this question. What do we know about Lucifer? There's a reason why I'm doing this, by the way. And I think it's the, the absence of answers and confusion is really the reason why we're doing this. What do we know about Lucifer? That's what I heard. He spoke in tongues. I'm sorry. Okay, so he led worship, right? We know that from what passage? There's two, there's two big passages in the Bible. There's Isaiah, what? 14. And Ezekiel, what? Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. And Ezekiel, <coughs> remember the chapter? Okay, we got, we got to get this one. 28. Ezekiel 28, okay? Those two chapters in your Bible tell you the most about Lucifer. So from these two passages, what do we know about the devil? Yep, he was the anointed cherub. All right, and that was over here. So he was the anointed cherub. Okay. Um, We also talked about how Andy said that he led worship. His body was made up of jewels and, and musical instruments. And as the anointed cherub, he also covered the throne of God. We found that out in Ezekiel 28. So we'll just do covered. He covered God's throne. So he stood in front of it. And God being light, when he stood in front of God's throne, his body being made up of all these jewels and musical instruments, God's light would radiate off of those gems in his body, and it would be absolutely spectacular. Absolutely amazing, the lights that would come off of him in the different colors, shades. It would just be absolutely gorgeous. If you ever walk past... There's a reason why Andy knows this because he worked there at a uh, jewelry store. There's a certain type of light and angle and where they have the jewelry and it makes it just go <gasps> like you almost hear the angels singing when you walk by. It actually does do that. It does. No, that's what you did when you worked there. Oh, was that me? Yeah, that was oh, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just under your breath. You would do oh. that. So there's, there's a reason for that because gems, that's why they're so precious is because of the way the light reflects off of it. It just makes it absolutely gorgeous. What else do we know about Lucifer? He was what? He had a throne and dominion. We know that one from here. So he had a throne and he had dominion over his entire kingdom. Okay? Yep. He was fallen, he was fallen from heaven to the ground. Yes. So he, sin was found in him. That's actually in both places. God points it out in both places that he brought sin into existence. And because of his sin, God cast him out. And for that, he was judged. 
judged here, <coughs> and judged here. Yep. He wanted to be above God. Yes. He wanted to be not above, what did it say in Isaiah 14? He wanted, he wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God. Okay, but what are the stars of God, according to the Bible? Anyone know? What are the stars of God in the Bible? Angels. Angels. So he wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God. So he wanted to be the top dog over all of the host of God. Okay? But it says that I will be like the Most High. He knew that he couldn't be better. He wanted to be like God. And here's the deal. If someone can be like God, then they are God. They are God. So he wanted to usurp God's authority. He knew he couldn't be better because God is the best at everything. But if you can get God to make a bad decision or to have fault in him, then he could take his place. Make sense? Okay. All right. Anything else? We missing anything else? That's pretty good. I'm content with that. You content? Micah, you content? All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is what we know about the devil. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Go to Genesis 3. This is the first place that we see him. And it says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves apron, made aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Okay, so now they sin. So when you see Lucifer, now the devil, now the serpent, here in Genesis chapter 3, what state do you find him in? He's a serpent, or so it says. Which, by the way, just as a side note, do you ever see any animals speaking in Scripture? Other than the donkey, Balaam's ass. That's it. That's the only time that you see any other animal speaking. You don't see any other animal speaking. And that was a supernatural event where God opened up that donkey's mouth to speak unto Balaam. Now, in this circumstance, was it a serpent? Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you know what it says about the devil? that he masquerades himself as an angel of light. But God calls him a serpent. Why does he call him a serpent? We just talked about this not too long ago. Some of you guys know this one. He was the anointed cherub. How many faces does a cherub have? Four different faces. And each cherubim that surround the throne of God represent different classes of creatures, right? You have one that represents man, and you got cattle, and you got the eagle, and then what's the other one? Number four. What's number four? The lion. You have the lion, the ox, the eagle, the man. And then you have the one, the fifth, which was the devil, which is the reptile class, which is also why God referred to him as the serpent. So just keep that in mind. 
A lot of us have this image that a snake was speaking to Eve from an apple tree. Well, if you actually study it out, it's probably, it was actually, he looked like a man. I personally think he had the appearance of Jesus Christ himself because Jesus was walking in the garden in the cool of the day <coughs> speaking to Adam and Eve. That's the only other person that came down to speak. So he would have had that appearance, which would have made Eve feel very comfortable. And on top of that, it probably wasn't an apple tree. It was more like a uh, grape tree because in the Bible, grapes grow on trees. And if you actually study horticulturalism, you'll end up finding that out. Side note. Such a side note. Okay. All right. So think about that. He is now in a sinful, fallen state. When did he fall? I mean, everything you read from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and now 3, he had a throne. He had dominion. Sin was found him. He wanted to be like God, but he wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God. He was the anointed cherub that covered God's throne. He led the worship among the angels and whatever else was in existence at that point in time. And he was the anointed cherub. Anointed also is another term is for, um, let's see, um, Messiah, by the way. It's just another side note. So you start thinking about stuff like that. When did he fall? Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2 mentions nothing about this. When did he fall? He had to fall into sin beforehand, right? Before Genesis chapter 3, we know he fell into sin. When did he fall? Huh? It is a question. I know. I know. I'm t- I'm, yeah, those of you that know the gap really well, I don't want you to speak. I want you to, I'm, I'm trying to get everyone else to think a little bit. I hope I'm doing that. I don't want to belabor this too much. Okay, let me ask you this question. When did Lucifer fall? Is that an important question to ask? Okay, why is it an important question to ask? Because you just told me it was important. Yeah. To understand our enemy. Understand your enemy. Very good. What else? Yep, context would be good. That's another good reason. What's the number one thing that you face every single day as a human being? Sin. Yourself. Where did all this come from? Where in the world did all of this come from? Like your number one struggle every single day is to walk in God's will and to not sin, right? I mean, that's mine. (laughs) That's mine. I struggle with my sin every single day. So in order to understand your sinful nature, where do you need to go? Adam? It didn't start with Adam. He brought it into the world as we know it, because that's Romans 5.12. We'll probably get to that next week based on what the time is right now and where we're going. But he did not bring sin into the world. Who did? Lucifer. Sin affected Lucifer. Lucifer, his name, what does his name mean? Light bearer, light bearer. It's funny because, you know, the loose, luminescent, you know, that kind of thing. That's where it comes from. Light bearer, Lucy, Lucas. That is them before. That's my, that's my children. I know. Well, actually, you know what? Lucifer is actually a really good name. Because once he fell, (laughs) once he fell, once he fell, that's when his name was changed. He was no longer Lucifer. He couldn't bear light any longer. 
So that's why his name changed to the devil, the dragon, that old serpent, all those other names that he's found. Yeah. Also the cat and Cinderella. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you Sad go. I know that. There you go. Okay. All right. So wouldn't it make sense that if we're going to try to understand our daily struggle, that we should understand where sin came from, how it originated, so that way you know how to combat it a little bit better? I would think so. Okay, so that's why we're doing this. Okay, on top of that, I think that there are a lot of people because here's here's um, let me answer this question: When did Lucifer fall? There's a lot of people that do not believe in what we're going to talk about with the gap, who say that he had to have fallen sometime prior to chapter three, but we don't know because God didn't reveal it, and which is just a cop out, frankly, because I mean the number one adversary of God is the devil. And you don't think God revealed that somewhere? Like, come on. Like, that's ridiculous. So they're just, they're being cowards and they're just working their way out and they don't, they don't even want to answer the question. But that's what they say. I've heard some people say that he fell, like Genesis chapter 6, where it talks about the, the sons of God coming unto the daughters of men and that that is actually a flashback prior to a time prior to Genesis chapter 3 where that's when Lucifer fell, which takes that completely out of context because that sets up the entire flood for knowing why God ended up destroying the whole earth. So that's the other one that I've heard. Um, but outside of that, no one has an answer. No one has an answer. They just say they know it happened, they don't know when. And that's what they say. If you go to the Creation Museum, which I recommend, I like the Creation Museum. I think it's fantastic. But they are what you call young earthers. They believe that the earth is young, uh, which I do not. I believe that the earth is very, very old. And I'll explain why. Um, and, that, and they think that I am blasphemous because I take that stand. Um, I remember Pastor Tom actually talked to Ken Ham about it and tried to have a reasonable conversation, and he wouldn't talk with him about it. Um, but there are reasons why I believe that, and I believe that it's completely supported by Scripture, completely supported by Scripture. Now, if you don't take that stand, that's okay. I don't feel like you're a secondary Christian. That's, it's not that way at all. It's just something that this is part of what we're talking about, and this fits in perfectly with the Bible. So this is something you're just going to have to chew on because there are people that go to our church um, that know that we teach things like this, and, uh, and they don't agree, and that's fine. That's fine. We're not saying, oh, no, you must believe in the gap in order to become members of First Baptist Church. No, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Because here's the reality. Understanding and believing the gap, does it really, really cause you to be an unfaithful Christian? I know. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. What causes us to be unfaithful is just not doing what God told us to do, to go out and reach the world, share the gospel, be disciples. That's what causes issues, not the gap. So this is just something that's kind of fun that is very important in my opinion because it helps me understand the whole breadth of the Bible and the foundation of why the devil does what he does throughout human history. It just, everything makes sense. Like all the questions that I've had for many years, all of a sudden it's just like click, 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 click. It all just makes sense. It all makes sense. All right. Okay. So with that in mind, let's talk about just the basic understanding of the gap and then we're going to get into a little bit of the evidence. We're not going to be able to cover all and we're going to finish it out next week. Okay, so here's the basic premise, the basic premise of it. Between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, there is a gap of time that encapsulates the beginning of all existence, the establishment of Lucifer as the anointed cherub, and the kingdom he ruled under God's authority, the entrance of sin into existence through Lucifer and his fall, and the judgment of his entire kingdom. 
And I put Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19, and Isaiah 14, 12 through 17 that lists all these things. I would recommend going through that. If you, if you have any, because there's questions like this that are going to come up when you have questions with your friends and different things like that, uh, especially if you're gonna, ever going to be talking about the whole issue of evolution, because this ties right in with evolution. We're going to talk about that as well. You're going to need to know these two passages. So I would highly recommend sometime this week or maybe this afternoon, um, if this is something that you think you need to really get your hands on, that you get into these passages and you start to notice some of these things Start highlighting and underlining different characteristics that you find that God reveals about the devil. Because these two chapters are two chapters that are very, very important when it comes to the devil. Okay, so the reason why I believe this is this is kind of the overall idea, and then I'm going to get into the reasons why. The gap explains perfectly everything we know about Satan, his fall, his overarching motive, deceiving Adam and Eve, his obsession with destroying the Jewish people and nation, the temptations of Jesus, which is called the second Adam, the crucifixion of Jesus, the persecution of the body of Christ throughout human history in the church age, the plan of the Antichrist to deceive the whole world into worshiping him and for all other aspects of countering and counterfeiting God's plan throughout human history. It makes perfect sense, perfect sense. And we're going to be hitting uh, bits and pieces of this as we go through some of the evidence why uh, the gap is something that is definitely biblical. All right, before we move on, any questions? Okay. All right. So this gets into a little bit of deep waters, and it gets into some elements of how to study the Bible. And a couple of things we're going to look at this morning, I want you to leave here with an understanding of, because this is what it does for me. When I touch on topics like this, it makes me think, wow, do I really know my Bible? Because there are things that I've never really seen before. That's what I really want you guys to walk away with and thinking about because there are elements in your Bible that are absolutely fascinating, fascinating. And uh, we'll get into some of that a little bit later. Okay, so number two, reasons why the gap is biblical. Go to Daniel chapter nine. So hold your spot in Genesis one or it's in the beginning of your Bible so you don't need to hold your place there, I suppose. But go to Daniel, Daniel nine. I want you to see something here of uh, just a, a reason why the gap is something that is definitely possible, right? So go to Daniel, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Haggai, okay, all right, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. I wanted to touch on this because we talked about this not, not that long ago. And it should go perfectly with what we're talking about here. All right. So there's two passages. There's many on your study sheet, but there's two passages I want to look at, Daniel 9 and Isaiah 9. And the purpose of looking at this is I want you to be able to see that there are other gaps of time that exist in the Bible. There are other gaps of time that exist in the Bible. So you always have to be careful when you're reading your Bible that there are times where you'll hit a comma or a semicolon And then the next word actually doesn't take place for almost thousands of years. And you may not even realize it. So in Daniel 9, verse 26. So God is giving through Gabriel the 70-week prophecy. And just just in a very small nutshell, basically what this means is that once... The, the commandment is given to rebuild Jerusalem. God begins a clock, and this clock is called the 70-week prophecy. 
and it is 70 periods of seven years. And you can, God starts this clock and it works all the way through. And if you actually map out from when I believe it was Artaxerxes gave the commandment uh, to that the, they could go back and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, all the way up when Jesus walked through, not walked through, rode through on the donkey, where they say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And it was Palm Sunday. That's what we refer to as Palm Sunday. From the day that they were released to go back to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and everything to the very day that Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem, it was exactly, exactly 173,880 days. It was exactly, you can go back and you can check it out. It's totally true. And that's exactly 483 years, okay? 483 years turns out to be 69 periods of seven years. So there is this remaining one week that exists. Once Jesus came through, then he was betrayed, crucified. God's clock stopped. And it has not started since. Now we have almost 2,000 years where now you have Jesus and you have him coming at the second coming. But it says it will begin, and we're going to read this. It's going to begin when the Antichrist signs the false peace treaty with the nation of Israel that begins the clock again. And the last period of seven years is the seven-year tribulation that Revelation talks about. So you have this gap of time that exists that isn't in Daniel chapter 9. All right? So I explained that, and I want you to see this. All right? Okay. Verse 26. And after three score in two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Bam! That's the close of the 69th week. The Messiah is cut off, and now that's the close of the 69th week. And then look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the last week that exists. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay, so that's a lot there. But here's what I want you to focus on. It says, there's this guy, he, now we would assume it might be the Messiah based on 26. But it says, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Okay. If you study out Revelation, you find out that that is the Antichrist. In the middle of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist comes in and he stops the sacrifices in the temple and he sits himself up upon the mercy seat and declares that he is God. That's exactly what the Bible says. Study it out in Revelation, study it out in Matthew, study it out in, 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 uh, in just all the other places where it's mentioned. But that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. Second Thessalonians chapter two talks about that too, where he calls himself God. And so this he here in verse 27 is the Antichrist. So that means that between verse 26 and 27, you have a 2000 year plus or minus because the calendars are all jacked up period where there is this gap that exists. Did Daniel know that when he was writing chapter nine? No, I mean, because the way it's written, you would just think it's just one thing going into the next thing. How would you know there's a gap of time until human history unfolds and all of a sudden there's this gap of time that exists? This is what's called the mountain peaks of prophecy. Prophets, when they were writing down things, had no idea that what they were writing down was from a different perspective. Because when you look at it, hey, can we erase 
I have my God-given eraser. It's my hand. Whatever. Okay. All right. It's called the Mountain Peaks of Prophecy. I want you to see this. Okay. So when that prophet is writing, this is what he sees, and this is what he writes. What he doesn't see is if you look at this and you just shift this whole thing go like this. What he doesn't see is if you look at it from a side angle. This is what he saw, and this mountain was blocking this over here, and there's this giant gap that exists between these two. And he had no idea. How could he have known? He just wrote whatever God wanted him to write. But from a different angle, it looks completely different. And this is why sometimes people get mi mixed up completely about prophecy. And that's why the charismatics get, get completely mixed up about speaking in tongues. They take passages out of Joel and other places that don't even apply to them because they're taking it and they're resting it. They're looking at it from here, but they don't see it how God sees it from here. Okay? All right. So there's gaps of time. Let me show you another one that's a little bit easier to understand. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. So back it up a little bit to Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're very familiar with this passage. Because of Christmas. We like Christmas. We like Christmas, don't we? I'm sorry. <laughs> the only month of December. I only talk like that during the month of December. Okay. All right. Just kidding. Sorry, I'm an idiot. All right. Isaiah 9. Okay. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government in peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, did that all happen when Jesus showed up as a baby? No, it did not. Where did it stop? Look at those verses. Where did it stop? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, you can still say his name was called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Because he was called those things. But the reason why he's called those things is because the government shall be upon his shoulder. So we got verse 6 up to the first colon. That was Jesus' first coming. And then when he shows up a second time, then you have, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Because he's going to take it over by force. So right there between given and and, you have over 2,000 years splitting the two, right in half. Make sense? This is what I'm talking about. When you read your Bible, be careful. And all the other references I gave there of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, Luke 4, Ephesians 3, 1 Peter 1, all those are other gaps that exist in the Bible. Okay? So, gaps do exist in the Bible. Go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. You held your place there? No, I didn't. You didn't? Oh. We'll just go to the... Go to the table of contents. <laughs> Work your way forward just a little bit. <laughs> Andy's special. That's why I love him so much. That's right. God does. He gives and takes away. Okay. All right. So just based on that alone, 
Just based on that alone, is it possible that there could be a gap between two verses? Absolutely. Okay. Now, I want you to see this, and this is going to get into our second one, and we're going to hit this just slightly, and then we're going to have to stop, uh, and I'll apologize ahead of time and pick it up next week. Look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So here's my premise. Between verse 1 and verse 2, there is an untold number of years. I have no idea how many. I I can't even guess. But there's an untold number of years that exist where Lucifer, according to the list that now is gone with my God-given eraser, which is not too bad, where he had a throne. He had dominion. He had the ability to cover God's throne as the anointed cherub to lead worship of all of creation and everything else. And then sin was found in him and he wanted to be like the Most High and then he was judged for it and cast out and his entire kingdom was totally decimated and judged and destroyed. And then in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I think there's a few things that really tie all this stuff together. There's a few things that really do. And the first thing is this. When you look at this, and this is probably means more to me than the rest. So we're actually going to skip ahead a little bit. I want you to see this. Um, Let's see here. Uh, I want to say it's the... Oh, I have my notes here. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. All right. This is still within Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. I gave you a lot of space in there. I want you to see this. Okay. I want to hit this first and then I want to go back a little bit. All right. There's two things that really stand out to me. Verse two, and the earth was without form and void and darkness. Okay. There's three things right there out of the gate that really concern me. The first two we're going to look at here really quick. The earth was without form and void and dark. Now here's my question and I want to back it up with some scripture. Why would God create the heaven and the earth and he would leave the earth in a position where it was without form, void and dark? Why would he do that? Because 1 John 1:5 says what? God is light. And in him there is no darkness. It is completely against God's nature to create something and leave it in darkness. Right? Just based on that alone, I believe that is a huge problem. So that's my first indication of, okay, there's something else that's going on here. Now take a look at this passage. Go over to Job Uh, Go to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4. There's another verse. When you study it out and you start to figure out some stuff, Verse 23. Look at verse 23 of Jeremiah chapter 4. Someone read that one. Go ahead, Sam. 
I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. <laughs> How about that? Almost the exact same wording. Almost the exact same wording. Okay. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void in the heavens, and they had no light. Same thing. Your earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Almost the exact same condition. What's the context of Jeremiah chapter 4? Just back it up a little bit. Verse 19. Here we go. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void in the heavens and they had no light. I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld and lo, there was no man and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. Okay, get in the picture a little bit. What's the context of Jeremiah 4? Destruction because of sin. Sin and destruction. Coincidence? I don't know. Sure. Just chalk it up to absolutely not. There's no way that can be a coincidence. There's absolutely no way that can be a coincidence. <coughs> Let me show you another one. All right? So that one, handling the without form, is very important. Go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. Just back up a little bit to your left. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. (coughs) Verse 18. Give me a reader. Verse 18. Go ahead. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath What do you learn about God, his creation, and why he creates from that verse? Yeah. There's purpose. purpose. Would God create something and just go like we would sometimes, oops, (laughs) well, that was a mistake. I mean, I feel like when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep, it would be like God saying, oops, sorry, I'm not done yet. I just kind of, mm-mm. When he creates something, he creates something perfect. And he creates it with a purpose. And that's exactly what it says. He created it not in vain. He, inform, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. So I think that is another great indication of the whole concept of it being void. It doesn't make any sense. Why would God create something and it would just be void? Why would God create something and it would just be full of darkness? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? That's like completely against his nature. That's completely against his nature. It's because there's something else that's going on here. So does this make sense so far? There's something else that's going on here. And a lot of people just read like they, oh, I'm going to start my annual Bible reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. 
And God said, let there be light. And, there was, and they just keep going. We're like, whoa, hold on here a second. Like, hold on. Why would, I mean, there's a whole lot that's going on here. And people just completely skip over it. This is why the Bible is amazing. It is absolutely, it's one of those amazing books. It is the most amazing book I have ever read in my entire life. It is inexhaustible. I study it and 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 I study it. And there's still things that come up all the time. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right. Let's see here. We don't have time to do any others. Okay. So we're going to pause here. And I want you just to just whet your appetite a little bit on this. There's a whole lot more. And we're going to dive into this because there's issues here of, of how it says heaven and it doesn't say heavens. There's a reason why it doesn't say heavens. And it ends uh, with chapter 2 and verse 1 where it says heavens. And there's, a, there's an issue with the creation and God creating something and God making something and God forming something. There's differences there. And so we're going to talk about that next week and then talk about the objections to the gap. All right. Before we close, any questions so far about what we had? Yeah, Andy. I know we don't have a time frame gap the years, but there are theologians that speculate or... They can, but there's really, there's really nothing. There's only one thing scientifically. Uh, when I was in college um, and I was going to Moody Bible Institute, I did a paper on the gap. And, um, and this is something, an element that we're going to get into a little bit next week. The gap actually lines up almost perfectly with the scientific evidence that people use for evolution. I don't believe in evolution, so don't, don't take me wrong on that. I do not believe in that at all. But when you look at the evidence of an ice age um, that exists – uh, there is evidence that that ice age correlates with the judgment of Lucifer and his kingdom um, and that the earth was around at that point in time. And uh, the samples that they've taken, you can actually measure the layers of ice and almost like a timeline of when the earth began to warm up again. And it's interesting because when the earth began to warm up again, lines up almost perfectly with when Adam and Eve were actually created in the garden. So there's some interesting scientific evidence with that kind of stuff that I just can't get over. I'm like, that's fascinating. So, but yeah, there's no time frame we can put on it. I mean, the earth could be billions of years old. Like the scientists say the earth is billions of years old. I think it's possible. Do you think he knew that the farting cows would destroy the earth 12 years from now? No, that's just AOC's problem. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. There you go. See, this is Andy. He goes from like serious to, yeah, he's an idiot. Like, real quick. Like, zero to 80. <laughs> That's why we love him. It is a legit question. <laughs> it is a legit. It is a question. I don't know if it's legitimate. Jack. Oh, gosh. Totally off the wall. Okay. It's a great question. My personal stance on dinosaurs is that they existed in the pre-Adamite Earth. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And it also goes along with the fossil record that we have. Um, so I believe the dinosaurs were back then. Uh, Pastor Tom has a position where he believes that there were some dinosaurs on the ark. Um, Jay and I have kind of talked a little bit about that. Jay tends to take the same stance that I do, but there is some, there is some argument that you could go both ways with that. Um, the issue is, when you, when you think about it, reptiles are the only creature that exists that God created that they never stop growing. And so think about Adam and Eve and how many years they lived on the earth. Snakes would never stop growing. They just shed their skin and they just grow bigger. Shed their skin and they grow bigger. So all reptiles are that way. So you think about that for a second. And so there is some evidence that there could have been dinosaur-like creatures that were on the ark. Um, so, Science says proto-dragons are the closest to it now. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Chickens. <laughs> all right. Enough of that. All right. 
Okay, let's get out of here. So we'll talk more about this next week. So you can be thinking about some of this stuff, and we'll talk about it next week as well. And if you want to carry it over and do some Q&A like this the following week, we can do that. All right. God, thanks so much for your word. It is absolutely amazing. I pray that we would treasure it with all of our heart. Help us to hear what you want us to hear in the main service and that you would just keep guiding our steps this week and that we would trust you and rely upon you. There's no one else that's as faithful as you. So thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a real thing.